Dory Peach's Academy. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't someone who saw the potential of immersive storytelling very long ago. I've got quite a traditional news and documentary background, but I've always loved transporting people to other places. I had been working as a filmmaker, shooting and editing video, and I dabbled in immersive audio. I'd started to see things like interactive web docs and mobile apps at festivals where you could be part of the story. But I knew very little about virtual or even augmented reality even four years ago. And then I got a call from an old colleague at The Guardian. She told me she was setting up a virtual reality unit there and needed some people to help. And that was it really. I went in thinking it would be two weeks of work and it ended up being two years. I directed a number of experiences using motion capture, actors, scanned environments and immersive sound. And I was hooked. And so if you're keen to get into this space, it's not impossible. We're still at the early stages of a new world of storytelling, and this podcast is for you. I'm Shahani Fernando, and this is the Story Futures Academy podcast. I find myself floating, floating, floating. Welcome to Virtual Reality, or VR. Right now, we've got the earth. You don't know what it's like to stand where I'm standing. Just look around you. During this series, I'm going to take you on a journey that explains how immersive content really gets made. Story Futures Academy is the UK's National Centre for Immersive Storytelling. More on that later. And we've made this podcast to equip you with practical tips if you're thinking of entering the space and to give you an insight into some really exciting case studies of immersive projects that have narrative at its core. You're going to hear from directors, producers, writers and creative technologists working at some of the most cutting-edge studios behind the likes of Pokemon Go, Peaky Blinders VR, Doctor Who The Runaway, and Wallace and Gromit's The Big Fix-Up. So you'll watch that rocket land in front of you. You can anchor it wherever you are. You can make it really tiny on your desktop, or you can make it 30 feet in your backyard. You know, Niantic is focusing a lot of our work on the moment when AR glasses will be ready. We're setting ourselves up for a very exciting future as and when that next hardware evolution becomes truly mainstream. Where you can see an actor from TV, you know, a a TV star basically, volumetrically captured. You're, You're next to them and you can interact with them and talk to them. Being embodied can be a huge pleasure. The idea that you can do things that you can't normally do. You also have to maybe wonder whose body you're in or how you find those clues about yourself. AR is coming by stealth. There's now 1.6 billion devices that can do AR, and I think we'll find quite a lot of like mobile games, for example, will be AR games. So those are just a few of our guests from forthcoming shows. Susan Cummings from Tiny Rebel Games, Alex Fleetwood from Niantic, Kim Lee Ponton from Nexus Studios, Adam Gantz from Royal Holloway University, and Dave Ranyard from Dream Reality Interactive. And it's worth saying, because this is such a fast-moving space, that we recorded these interviews in the summer of 2020, in lockdown. This eight-part series will cover things like how to manage an immersive production, writing character-based experiences, looking at ways makers are playing with the documentary form, and approaches to financing your project. 
Each week, we'll be speaking to two or three experts to give you an overview of these areas. And there'll be links and resources on the Story Futures Academy website. So go to storyfutures.com forward slash podcast. But first, let's take you into the very heart of a virtual reality experience. But now, at long last, there we go, we are clear. We're airborne and on our way to join the stream of bombers making towards Berlin. As I start the experience, I find myself in a Lancaster bomber. I'm uh, looking out the window as it's sitting on the tarmac, uh, and then it gradually takes off, takes flight into the sky. And over time, uh, I move around the aircraft. Okay, chaps, we're at 8,000 feet now. Oxygen's on. I'm Becky Gregory Clark, and I'm the head of immersive for the National Film and Television School and for the Story Futures Academy program. I find myself behind the pilot in the cockpit. It's night time, and I'm flying over Berlin, and you can see searchlights shining up at you from the ground and, and burning buildings below. And it's 1943 Berlin Blitz that was made by the BBC. It's created out of a real piece of audio archive from a, a BBC reporter, Winford Vaughan Thomas, who flew over Berlin in a Lancaster bomber in 1943 with his broadcasting engineer, Reg Pidsley. The audio is real. The visuals have been created to tell this story and put you in this place, this moment in time in history. And actually, the visuals are really quite basic. But I personally think uh, it's amazing. You don't really need that to give this sense that you're there. Hello, Bombardier. English coast should be coming up now. Will you tell me we cross it, please? The reason it's a wow moment for me is actually that's one of the pieces I've shown the most people. It resonates with so many people, and it's not one of the most expensive pieces out there, but it can be super effective, and it's a well-chosen piece of content. Becky, you've been working at the cutting edge of immersive for some time, first at the BBC and then at Digital Catapult. But for listeners who aren't fully familiar with all the different forms of immersive technology, can you give us a brief description of them? I would usually um, encourage people to think of virtual, augmented and mixed reality not as fixed terms, fixed buckets, but all as part of a spectrum. So if you imagine you have a completely real world, a real environment on one end where everything around you you see or hear or interact with is real, On the other end of the spectrum, you have a completely virtual environment where everything you see and hear uh, is virtual. And then everything in between is some form of mixed reality. It is in some way merging the real and the virtual together. And the augmented reality, mixed reality is nearer the real end and virtual reality is at the other end. But all of the things that we're doing, all the devices we use, all these technologies that are coming through, it's all in some way merging the real and the virtual just in, in slightly different ways. And in VR, of course, you're totally immersed in the world inside your headset, while AR takes place amongst your everyday surroundings. You know, you can port an animated story or a 3D figure or a museum object into your living room and see it through your device. With MR, mixed reality, you'll generally be using some form of glasses like Microsoft's HoloLens 2 or the Magic Leap, where images are layered across your field of view. And this, I guess, is where people think the future's going, towards AR glasses. So all these mediums are quite different and have their own challenges. But for you, what is it that's exciting about storytelling in this space? Why should people get involved in it? I mean, I think the first thing for creatives is to come at it as a user rather than a a creator in the first instance and, and try things out and have a go. There's some incredible content out there now, actually. We have learned a lot as a sort of community of makers, I think, in the last 
particularly the last five years or so, as more and more of these devices have got into the hands of the makers. But there's still a lot to play for. It's an incredibly uh, exciting time to be a creative and to be experimenting with things. And it's still a content-making process that is borrowing from all sorts of other disciplines. So theatre makers are bringing what they know into this space, Uh, games makers, film and TV makers, they all have their own different ways of doing things. And by and large, most of the content that you'll see is some combination of those techniques. So it it can be difficult because there's no sort of standardised process. But if you have experience in one or more of those areas already, then you're already in good stead. How is it different to making film or TV, do you think? I think the biggest difference is it tends to be more collaborative, particularly in the early development stages. It's an iterative back and forth between writers and designers and games makers or essentially the people who are going to make it as well as those who would ordinarily be creating the work. It also just requires people to adapt a lot. It needs people who can come at it with an open mind and be willing to adapt and and find new ways around or just problem solve, really. It's actually more like creating a piece of software than delivering a film. One big challenge that many content makers will face is that they have to think through their content from end to end. So not just the content itself and how it will be made and what it will look like, but how it's going to reach an audience as well. And someone who's been thinking about all these issues is Professor James Bennett, the director of Story Futures and co-director of Story Futures Academy. James, when did you first try virtual reality? The first time I came into contact with VR, I think, you know, there was a first generation of of VR experiences that hit me in in the 1990s. And I remember going to a, a gallery in Brisbane to experience, you know, this massive headset kind of like a Tron-like world in, in the early 90s. And that, that was it was so exciting as a kind of, I think, an early teenager going to see this huge queue, which was unheard of in Brisbane, really, to queue for anything. It's such a small place. And there was this huge queue of people wanting to have a go at the VR headset. I think like everybody, it was a moment that kind of stuck with you. And you went, wow, that was that was amazing. I, mean, I was in the story. It was like being inside Space Invaders, like being inside Tron. But of course, you never got to do it again. You know, there was no way, there was no access to this technology. (laughs) And fast forward 20 years, James, you're now heading up a three-year project that will hopefully help scale up the immersive industry in the UK. Tell us what Story Futures is exactly. Well, the origins of Story Futures come from an intervention made by Sir Peter Bazalgette and the Arts and Humanities Research Council. The key part was really that UK creative industries are worth as much to the UK economy as areas like aerospace, manufacturing, pharmaceutical, these kind of big areas that have often benefited from R&D spending. So the Creative Industries Clusters program was designed to allow creative industries to gain access to public research and public research funding in a way they'd never had before to accelerate growth. R&D in creative industries is new and untested. So this is an experiment to find out what does it look like? How do you ensure that companies can grow from it and have the remit to experiment, to innovate, to fail and to learn again from those failures with access to the right kind of support in universities? There's so much unknown about simple things like workflow, capture technologies through to how to distribute, how to reach audiences and how to understand how those audiences respond to the new opportunities of immersive. And at the heart of all of this, I suppose, is compelling storytelling. What defines really good storytelling in these new mediums? It should be playful. It should be fun. It should be sometimes serious. 
But most importantly, it needs to be engaging and pull people's emotions and attention and make use of the fact that for the first time, we've got the ability to engage all the senses in uh, a storytelling platform that is audio, is visual, is tactile, is interactive. It can even have smell and um, you know space added to it in, in real physical and virtual spaces. And it's testing the affordances of the medium that I think is so exciting to defining immersive storytelling. I always say to people who come through our labs not to get too attached to any one particular device because these are going to change a lot over the next two, five, ten years. The important thing I think that we need to do as a community of makers in the short term is just learn how to tell the stories and make best use of this merging of, of the virtual and the real in a way that's sort of agnostic to the actual devices that we have at the moment. We're starting to see a lot of new ways in which people are using VR and AR in unusual settings. What are the new forms emerging that you're interested in? I think one of the most interesting developments in the last few years is this use of virtual reality and, and, and immersive technologies within a sort of immersive theatre context. So a, a hybrid that involves the technology, but it may involve a set, it may involve live actors as well. Um, also social uh, VR as well. So you're experiencing it with more than one person at the same time. And sometimes you might even be able to speak to each other or see each other or collaborate in some way. And these make for some of the most imaginative, most interesting pieces that I've seen. The massive challenge, of course, is that these are very difficult to scale. So we've heard from James about what Story Futures does. But Becky, what exactly does Story Futures Academy do and what's its mission? The Story Futures Academy programme, which is the National Centre for Immersive Storytelling, is a joint programme. It's run by the National Film and Television School and Royal Holloway University of London. But we're a national upskilling initiative, essentially. And we work to try and help the UK's creative workforce be the most skilled in the world using immersive technology for storytelling. So we do a lot with the existing screen industry. So people who already have really relevant skills who might want to move across and uh, learn about new technology and how it might affect their practice. Uh, experimental labs and workshops that we do, sort of structured training opportunities for people to get hands on with this kind of content and technology. We have writers rooms as well, which we run with our creative partner Punch Drunk, um, which are great and really popular. We have a placement programme where we create opportunities for senior level creatives to uh, work with uh, great immersive companies in the UK and, and get great experience that way. And we have a co-production arm of what we do as well, where we're creating opportunities for people to really get making with this kind of technology and this content. What I would love to see is a, a huge new influx of people who've been inspired by this kind of content and who are making steps to make their first content in this area. If we can see some more writers, more directors, more creatives in the UK trying their hand in this medium, in addition to the incredible work they already do in other mediums, that would be a brilliant success of this programme. And one of the beneficiaries of the co-production arm was filmmaker Darren Emerson, co-founder of East City Films. He's an example of a filmmaker who's diversified into making immersive content over the last few years, working in the documentary genre. His most recent virtual reality experience is called Common Ground, about an estate in Elephant and Castle in South London, which blends 360 filming techniques, as well as some areas that have six degrees of freedom, or six doff as it's known, which means you can physically move around in certain scenes and explore. It's won numerous awards, including Best Immersive Story at Sandbox Immersive, Grand Prix Innovation at Festival du Nouveau Cinema, 
Outstanding VR Narrative at World Press Photo and Best VR Experience at the Broadcast Digital Awards. When people say, well, how can you live on the Aylesbury? How can people move into them? They need to go back and think at the beginning why people moved into them, what they had before and what they had now. Running water, an inside toilet, kids had their own bedrooms and probably parents and all. It really was an improvement and it was so different from what people had. So Common Ground is an interactive VR documentary about the history and legacy of the Ellsbury estate and it uses stereoscopic 360 video, photogrammetry, 3D modelling, volumetric spaces and interactions to create a half an hour long documentary about this community and about the regeneration of the estate that's happening now, which a lot of people feel they are being socially cleansed out from the area. What did you want to convey with the interactive elements of the project? Because you can do various things in this piece, from wandering around someone's flat and watching their TV, to seeing the original plans in your hands while you look at the existing buildings. We wanted to make all the interactions in Common Ground feel intuitive, feel almost effortless. But we also wanted them to deepen the documentary experience. How can an interaction itself, how can the act of doing something create a deeper sense of connection to a community and to a subject matter? For me, it's about using all the tools at my disposal within the setting of a VR experience to generate a feeling of resonance and a feeling of connection. And that can be as much about music or or a carefully placed object, or, or how you come into a space, you know, and how you feel within the architecture of an experience than it is just simply because it is in VR. For me, the whole medium when we started it just offered me kind of a, a blank canvas in which to kind of really sort of experiment with the things that I'm really interested in, which tend to be sort of stories around resilience and stories around forgiveness. It was from the tagging on, on the walls with the graffiti by the gangs that gave us the idea. We, we managed to secure 200 fruit trees and we planted them out in various places around the estate. And we got the kids and got them to come out and help plant the trees. There's a scene in Common Ground where you are in a stairwell. But also they were allowed to tag the trees. And there's a policeman who's talking about crime on the estate. But in your hand you discover you have a spray can and you have the freedom to spray on the walls. It's really interesting, almost as a social experiment, to watch people not hesitate to graffiti their name or a silly drawing <laughs> or whatever on the walls. And it's almost like no one's looking, so why not? And they've always got a smile on their face while they're doing it. But for me, there is a deeper social meaning to that. It, it really sort of puts you in to the shoes of somebody that might live on that estate, that might have a lack of opportunity in terms of employment or in, in youth centres or whatever, where a space like that becomes your canvas, becomes your playground. And is it vandalism or is it understandable in terms of expression? Uh, where does vandalism and expression kind of collide? And we try to do that throughout the piece. Yes, the Ellsbury is harsh and it's grey and it's rugged, but so much of London is anyway. What I love about being home is that I look out the window or when I'm standing on my balcony and you see these stacks of boxes, people living their completely separate lives, but tied together by this construct which contains so much. 
I want to ask you a little bit about funding because it's still quite difficult to make an ambitious documentary VR piece these days. What are the challenges for you as a filmmaker in trying to make this kind of work? I think the challenges are that there is a smallish amount of money on offer to make something and you really have to hustle and be competitive to to get that money. I, I definitely think, you know, since Creative XR started and Story Futures has started, the, the opportunities have, have definitely widened. And I think the success of funding applications really depends on how much work you put in yourself, how dedicated you are to really knowing the subject matter, really researching it. And so that when you do come to make an application, depending where that is, you're almost giving them no choice but to fund it. That's my approach, really. You know, even if it doesn't get funded, I, I at least I know that I did everything that I could do. One of the issues with work like yours is um, getting it out to audiences beyond film festivals and installations. And I know Story Futures has been trying to support work to be more scalable. What do we need to do to move the industry forward? You know, I've been very lucky to benefit from being involved with Story Futures right from the beginning. I find whenever I'm sort of talking to them, whether it's a story lab, a fellowship, or a funding initiative in terms of uh, prototypes or something like that, that they're really asking some quite difficult questions about what should be made and, and what you're proposing. And sometimes, you know, as a creator, you don't want those questions. You want an easy life. But you need to be challenged. We need to find ways of telling stories in this medium and, and we need to find stories that people want to engage with. I think Story Features is really asking some of those difficult questions around what does it mean to make a story in this medium and how should it be serving the audience and how do we make it something that is self-sustaining, really? You know, we're all looking for a model that's self-sustaining. So, James, for makers and creatives like Darren, these new ways of making content are clearly offering a lot in terms of experimentation and enabling an active audience. But there's still this issue of getting it out to people. And film and TV, I guess, have had established distribution channels dating back decades. It's much more challenging to get immersive content out to mainstream audiences, isn't it? How are we going to deal with that challenge? There are two interesting things that are happening in 2020 that make that challenge more acute and may accelerate it. And and one is obviously uh, COVID-19. We've had the major distribution mechanism taken away from us in the immersive space for VR or mixed reality experiences because that has been largely location-based at big venues that you can you know, get throughput of audiences into headsets and out of headsets over a short period of time. And, and that's been taken away you know, at a crucial point when large projects were about to launch. And there's a way in which those projects are pivoting now to then realize those assets and storytelling for home use and for home use through iPad and mobile phones in AR environments. And that brings me to the second exciting thing, of 2020, which is the rollout of 5G offers, you know, just such computing power and possibilities that will enable much more lightweight devices, but also more immersive experiences to be programmed into your phone, including the ability to touch, you know, virtual touch and haptics will really become something that is possible for the home user. And I think that those become really exciting possibilities. COVID-19 and 5G, as much as you know, the former is a threat, the latter is an opportunity that coincides with it to really engage audiences in, at a domestic end of distribution. And for people who are thinking about joining this industry or are new to it, what are your tips in terms of skills that they need? 
How can they launch into a career in immersive? Be eclectic in your tastes and experiences and really push yourself to to try different things in what you consume as culture and the skills that you try and develop as an individual. So don't try and specialise too early. Don't worry about whether you're going to be the best programmer or the best designer or the best script writer at this stage. Try and understand experiences, whether they be film, television or immersive ones, from those different perspectives. If you can develop some basic coding skills, if you're a creative or if you're a coder and you can develop some basic creative skills, those will stand you in really good stead. But most importantly, ask what the other person's job is, what their other person's role is. Understand what it is that they're doing and need to achieve as part of working in a team. So there we go. A short overview of immersive storytelling, the practicalities of collaboration, the joy of experimentation and the challenges of distribution. If you're thinking of joining this world, it's not a question of if it's going to take off, it's when it's going to happen. And this is a place where you can bring together diverse groups of skills, people and creative ideas to make new worlds that are as yet unwritten. Please do subscribe to the Story Futures Academy podcast on whatever platform you're listening to and check out our website. You'll find lots of information there on our experimental labs, which provide a great little taster into this new world. You can sign up for the Story Futures Academy newsletter, where you'll hear all about our latest events and commissioning opportunities. And you'll also find the podcast episode pages, where we'll have more links and resources on the things we've been discussing today. Go to storyfutures.com forward slash academy. Join us next time, when we'll be delving into how to get started with your immersive idea, with Verity McIntosh from University of West of England and Kim Lee Ponton from Nexus Studios. See you then. Story Futures Academy is the UK's National Centre for Immersive Storytelling and is funded as part of UKRI's Audience of the Future Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund.